in the garden. Let's stand and sing.
Turn in your Bibles this morning, please, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. This past week, I went and got a Union County Library card, uh, mostly to use their Marshall branch. And while going through that process, near the end, the lady told me that I had a, a difficult decision to make. She said that uh, I had to decide between the blue card or the orange card. And so I picked the blue one and she jokingly added that if that was the most difficult decision I had to make that day, I was doing pretty good. And I agree. I also read this past week about uh, a mother who was at an ice cream truck and she was looking at what was available and she was kind of, I guess, frustrated because the ice cream truck only offered two flavors, vanilla and chocolate. And so she asked the driver, why do you only have two flavors, vanilla or chocolate? I mean, there's all these flavors out there. Why only have two? And the ice cream truck driver said if she knew how long it took for children to choose between those two, she'd know why he only has vanilla and chocolate. You know, life is filled with decisions, isn't it? Uh, even this morning, you've already made a lot of decisions. You may not have thought about it, but you have. Uh, You decided to get up when the alarm clock went off or to hit the snooze button, whatever the case may be. Uh, You had to decide what to eat for breakfast, uh, what to wear to church today. Ladies, you had to decide what your husband's going to wear to church today. Uh, You had to decide if you were coming to Sunday school or just morning worship, if you were going to bring your Bible or or not bring your Bible, if you were going to put money in the offering plate or not put in the offering plate, if you were going to sing along today or, or not sing along. And so all these decisions, 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 all kinds of decisions. You know, some decisions we make have very little consequence if you want to know the truth. Blue library card, orange library card, vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream, very little consequence. Other decisions, though, can literally change the course of our lives or even our eternity. What's the old saying? We make our decisions and our decisions turn around And make us. How true. In our scripture today, we're going to see that Abram, as he's called here, we know him better as Abraham, which his name was changed to later. But Abram is going to make some very important decisions. You were here last week. Uh, You remember what's going on, I hope. If, If not, let me bring you up to speed. God has called Abram to leave his country, to leave his relatives, to leave where he is and go to a land that God would show him. And he did that. He he left. And when we left him in our study last week, he had left there. And we know he made it partway and then finally all the way. And when we left him, he was in the land where God was bringing him. And we know the story that he lived happily ever after, right? Wrong. We're going to find out today that our faith will be tested. Our faith will be tested as we travel this journey of faith. And as believers, we're on a journey of faith. That faith's going to be tested. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. So we're going to have our faith tested. We know the book of James tells us something. It seems very odd. In James chapter one, verses two, three, four says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And that seems odd, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but when trials come and problems, my first inclination is not to say, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Another problem. 
Do you do that? But James says you ought to. Why? Because it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says the same thing. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our faith's going to be tested. And we should rejoice in that, knowing that God is working in our lives to make us more like His Son, the Lord Jesus. So listen, even in the center of God's will, when you're exactly where God wants you to be, and you're doing exactly what God wants you to be doing, Even in those times, trials and troubles come. Abraham's in the land, yet he's going to face some problems. Look at your Bibles, if you would, please. We have Genesis 10 now. Genesis chapter 12, rather, verse 10. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. He's in the land. He's where God told him to go. Look at what it says in verse number 10. Now, there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Let's be honest about it, beloved. A famine is bad enough. But the Bible says this was not, not just an ordinary famine. It was a severe famine. And so this problem, this trial means that Abram has a decision to make. We can learn from this decision. The first thing we're going to consider today is this question. What do I do when I'm struggling with a famine? What do I do when I'm struggling with a famine? As a believer, as a child of God, as one who knows Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ knows me, and I place my faith in Him, my sin is forgiven, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm a pilgrim passing through, I'm I'm on a journey of faith, and I begin to face famine in my life. Now, yours may not be a literal famine. It may not be that you're lacking food. But there's some area of lack in your life, some famine in your life. It might be a financial famine. Some of you are in right now. There's more month than there is money. Some might be struggling with a time famine. You've got so much going on. There's a lack of time, it seems. You might have an employment famine. You're without employment and, and you need a job. And you're struggling or some other area of famine in your life. As a child of God, what do you do? In those times. Well, let's look at what Abram did. It says in verse number 10. Now, there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. So in this midst of famine, uh, Abram decides that he's going to go down to Egypt. So the question is, what's the problem here? What's wrong with that? Well, if you go and you begin studying this passage, many Bible scholars will point out that Egypt is a picture of the world in the Bible and turning to the world for help. And, and that is the case. But I don't want to I don't want to dwell there because that may or may not be the case in this regard. Here's what I want to dwell on. I think there's an even greater issue that's going on in Abram's life. As I read this passage, I don't see anywhere where Abram consulted the Lord about what to do and where to go and how to handle this famine. In fact, it seems as you read it and as we continue studying that what Abram did is he took matters in his own hands and he's going to take care of this thing himself. Now, listen, Christian, whenever you take matters into your own hands, watch out, beware, 
When you say, oh, I've got a problem and I'm going to settle it. Watch out. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 come to mind. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Here's the decision that we really have to make in times of famine. Are you ready? Here's the true decision. Are we going to walk by sight or are we going to walk by faith? Or, or to put it another way, are we going to trust God or are we going to trust self? Are we going to look to God for direction and provision and help? Or are we going to look to ourselves and our ingenuity and our industry and our genius, if you will? You see, Abram didn't allow God to meet his need here. He didn't allow God to give him direction here. He rushed ahead, leaning on his own understanding. He decided, I'm going to walk by sight and not by faith. Well, let's see what happened, because that decision brought about a lot of problems for Abram. Look at verse 11. Y'all listen, verse 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, we know her better as Sarah, who's Uh, She's known as later. Indeed, I know that you are a woman of a beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say this is his wife and they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Verse 14. So it was when Abram came into Egypt. The Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken, watch this, was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. That's a major problem. Don't you agree? See, his decision to walk by sight rather than by faith, his decision to handle a famine in his own way led to some very serious problems. It caused him to live in fear. He's afraid. He says, listen, we come into Egypt. Those people are going to see how beautiful you are. And she was. This wasn't just a husband saying, oh, my wife's beautiful. No, she was a knockout. She was gorgeous. And when the Egyptian saw her, he says, listen, but they might kill me and take you. Do me a favor. Say that you're my sister. Which brings another question to mind. What do I do when I'm struggling with fear? Because Abram's afraid here. What do I do when I'm struggling with fear? Well, sad to say, Abram took matters in his own hands again. Instead of submitting to God, he decided to scheme his way through this part of his life. He had a plan (laughs) and his plan. And did you notice how selfish he's talking here? Uh, Look again there in the passage where it says verse number 12. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Then notice verse 13. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with who? With me. Boy, isn't that loving? Listen, honey, I sorry, but I gotta look out for number one right here. I mean, they're gonna see you and kill me. So you say you're my sister, and, and so they'll let me live and you can live and whatever. 
Now, in all honesty, this is a half truth. You, you like to write in your Bible, put this, this reference in your margin on your notes. Genesis 20, Genesis 20, 12 through 13. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Verse 13 of Genesis 20 says this. Listen. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. Listen, in every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. So Abram has thought this thing through. They had a plan in mind and he's trying to scheme his way through. So it's a half truth. We know it's a half truth, but hold on. It was meant as deception. And this deception woefully backfired on Abram. I don't know if you ever thought about Pharaoh or not. Maybe you thought about a normal person who maybe negotiate and he could weasel his way through this. But now Pharaoh's involved and they just said, listen, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's coming to Pharaoh's house. Can you imagine as Abram stood there and watched them escort Sarai away, what went through his mind? Furthermore, what went through Sarai's mind? What went through her mind? And she's being escorted into this place. You see, Abram gained a lot of wealth from this. It says that Pharaoh gave him all this stuff. But listen, what good is all this wealth if you lose your wife? Listen, what good are material things if you lose your marriage? I mean, Abram's scheming and trying and figuring and plotting and planning. He's taking things in his own hands and it's all blowing up in his face. He's struggling with fear and he made a wrong decision. He decided again, I'm going to walk by sight and not by faith. I'm going to trust in my wisdom, not God's wisdom. But praise God, the story does not end here. I love the words, the first words of verse 17, but the Lord, but the Lord, verse 17 says, plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Remember, I told you last week, the hero of Abram's story, it's not Abram, the hero is the Lord, the hero is God. So he plagues them and look, drop down to verse 20. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And so we know that God delivers Sarai and delivers Abram. He delivers them. He overrules. He has things turn out. But you got to back up a bit because we skipped a portion, didn't we? Back up to verse number 18. Now, remember, Pharaoh's being plagued and somehow it came out that it's because of Sarai. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. Did you catch the significance of what you just read? Here's ungodly Pharaoh. And he's rebuking the man of God, Abram. He not only rebukes him, he kicks him out of the land. Verse 20 says, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. What a sad account, beloved. Instead of influencing the Egyptians for God, what did Abram do? He left a bad taste in their mouth. And here he is, a man of God. He's being rebuked by an ungodly man. 
He's being cast out by an ungodly man. You know, aren't we guilty of the same at times? How much better it would have been if Abram would have been walking by faith rather than walking by sight. God is more than able to deliver from Pharaoh's hand. He's more than able to provide even in the midst of famine. Oh, if only Abram would have walked by faith rather than by sight. If only he'd walked in truth rather than deception. We dare not be too hard on him, huh? How often do we follow in his footsteps? How often we get in a jam? We get scared. So we start to lie. We start to deceive. We tell half-truths. We scheme. We do whatever we can to, to save face and save our skin. Beloved, that is not walking by faith. That's walking by sight. In, in the midst of fear, I've got a decision to make. Am I going to walk by faith, trusting God? Or am I going to walk by sight, trusting myself? What do I do when I'm fearful? We're reminded what 2 Timothy 1.7 says. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you might be thinking, well, everything ended well for Abram. I mean, at least he got his wife back. And on top of that, he got all this stuff. He got his wife and got wealth too. And so, though he made a wrong decision, it's all It's all right. It all turned out okay. But wait a minute. Did you know these decisions would haunt him for a very long time to come? There were consequences for him going down into Egypt. Let me just give you two real quickly. Number one, while in Egypt, they obtained servants, as you saw there. It says in verse number uh, 16. He treated Abram well for his sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. While in Egypt, they obtained a lady by the name of Hagar. Hagar. Now, if you know Abraham's story, you know already what this ended up. But if you don't know, listen to what Genesis 16, 1 through 3 says. You want to turn there, Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Again, taking matters in their own hands. Not waiting on God. Verse 3. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And Abram had a son to Hagar by the name of Ishmael. And did you know that Ishmael is actually the forefather of the Arabs? So how did all this work out? Well, if you want to know, you just go home and turn on the news and watch some, some stuff about the Middle East. And you'll see how the Arabs and the Jews are getting along. And you'll know some of the consequences of Abram going down into Egypt. There's a second consequence. Second consequence was it seems that while they may have left Egypt, Egypt never left Abram's nephew, Lot. It seems that Lot got a taste for the good life and 
the high life there in Egypt. And it seems that would forever haunt him. You don't know the story of Lot. It's not a very happy story. As he goes and loses his family in a place called Sodom. And so consequences came about Abram's walking by sight rather than by faith. So we understand that when we're walking and and dealing with a famine, we need to walk by faith and trust God. When we're struggling with fear, we need to walk by faith and trust God. But it brings us to the next chapter and the next thing. And that's this. What do I do when I'm struggling with family issues? What do I do when I'm struggling with family issues? You know, Abram had family issues. Let's look at what it says in chapter 13 now, beginning at verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, that's his nephew, to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. Verse 3. And he went on his journey from south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called in the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Verse 6 says, now the land was not able to support them. By the way, the famine may have well, very well been continuing on here because we're not told. And it seems that he's kicked out all of a sudden. Land could support and they might dwell together for their possessions were so great they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Put your finger on verse 8, but let me stop for a moment. They were so wealthy and had so much stuff. They began to have some problems and fussing and fighting among the herdsmen. Sadly, how many families have the same issue today where they fight over stuff and it leads to separation? Verse eight. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. Why? For we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And notice verse 10. And Lot, by the way, Lot's walking by sight. Look at verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes. And saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord. Wow. What a place. Like the land of, what's that say? The land of Egypt. As you go toward Zoar, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt the land of Canaan, Lot dwelt the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, our focus in our study is not upon Lot, but it's upon Abram. So I'm going to try to stay on task here. Let me just say, though, we see a change in Abram right here. Abram here is no longer walking by sight. He's walking by faith. He's returned to the altar, it says. He's returned to fellowshipping with the Lord. And sadly, Lot made the wrong choice. 
Lot chose for himself and Lot chose by sight. Lot is gone. They've separated. Abram is there in the land of Canaan. And I love how verse 14 starts. And the Lord said. And the Lord said. Now listen. You realize that Abram didn't put forth his rights or anything. He says, listen, Lot, you choose. You take what you want. I'll take what's left. Look at what the Lord says in Genesis 13, beginning at verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth tree at Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. I said that on the journey of faith, our faith is tested. And in this faith test, Abram passed with flying colors. He decided to walk by faith to trust God and rest in God. He did not cry for his rights. He did not fight for the best. He simply trusted God. And here he is. He's Abram, the older of them, the one who could have said, listen, it's my choice. He says, a lot you choose. I'll take what's left. Now, what made the difference between the Abram in the end of chapter 12 and the Abram in the beginning of chapter 13? Because we've been seeing he's walking by sight and he's got a big mess and he's walking in fear. What made the difference between chapter 12 and chapter 13? Did you notice? Here's the difference. The altar. You see, what we read in chapter 13 is actually sandwiched between two altars. Look back at chapter 13, verse 3. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Listen, verse four to the place of the altar, which he'd made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Then drop down to verse 18. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. You see, he's in fellowship with God. He's walking with God. Abram's life is about tents and altars. He's a pilgrim. He's a worshiper. And if we're going to walk by faith, if we're going to walk trusting God. We're going to walk looking to God, resting in God and letting him direct our lives. We must fellowship with God. We must stay on our knees in prayer. We must stay in our Bibles. We must walk with the Lord. You see those tests. Those trials, those problems, those days of famine and fear and family issues, they will come. Being a Christian doesn't exempt you from that. Sin is very real in our world. The results and consequences of sin are very real in our world. And we will have these days and our faith will be tested. And we're going to come up against those times. And at those times, we have a decision to make. It's real simple. Am I going to walk by sight? Scheming? Plotting, planning, grasping, putting forth my rights? Or am I going to walk by faith, trusting 
resting, praying. What's it going to be? Am I going to trust myself? Am I going to take matters in my own hands? Or am I going to trust God and leave the matters in his hands? That's the real question during times of famine and fear and family issues and problems. Who am I going to trust? How am I going to walk? And Graham Lotz, in her wonderful book, The Magnificent Obsession, tells about a little boy who walked into his grandfather's house and saw a jar of jelly beans on the table. You like jelly beans, boys and girls? Well, this little boy asked if he could have some jelly beans. And grandfather, just like all grandfathers, I'm sure here would, smiled and said, son, help yourself. Well, the little boy shook his head, said, no, grandfather, you get me the jelly beans. Well, the grandfather encouraged his grandson, said, go ahead, son, you can get some help yourself. And again, the little boy protested and asked his grandfather to get the candy for him. Well, exasperated, the grandfather reached into the jar and he grabs a handful of jelly beans. And as he placed him in the little boy's cupped hands, he inquired irritably, Why on earth would you not get the jelly beans for yourself? And the little boy standing there with his jelly beans grinned and said, Because your hands are bigger. <laughs> And Graham Lotz continued, watch out. If you selfishly insist on getting what you want, what you want, you may get it and wind up with a lot less of what God wants to give you. She said, for myself, I want all the jelly beans God wants to give me. I want the fullness of his blessing. I want a God filled life. Beloved, when you're struggling with famine and fear and family issues, beware when you seek to take matters into your own hands. In those trials and those tests, don't do that. Trust the Lord. Lean on Him. Seek Him. Rest in Him. Follow Him. Trust Him. He's in control. He's in charge. He's more than able. I close with these words. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Will you walk by sight or will you walk by faith? Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow this morning in your presence. And Lord, I don't pretend to know all the concerns and circumstances and cares that are upon the hearts of the people here. But Lord, I thank you that you know them. You know every detail concerning our life. Now, Father, I pray in these final moments together. If anybody here is not walking by faith because they've never even experienced saving faith in Christ. I pray this morning you bring them to that cross. You lead them to Calvary. And you'd help them to 
turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Then, Lord, I pray for those here today who have that settled. They know that they're heaven bound. No, no doubt about that. But, Lord, they're struggling on this journey of faith. There may be famine in their life. There may be fear in their life. They may, may be struggling with family issues today. Lord, I pray that you would help them not to take matters into their own hands, but, Lord, to cry out to you, to look to you, to trust you, that you might direct their steps. So I pray that folks would come during this invitation, Father, and do business with you. Maybe cast those burdens afresh and anew and seek your will and your wisdom. Bring those that are lost so we might share the gospel with them. Bring those who know you but need to talk with you today. Bless this invitation, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn, I think, is the most appropriate one when you consider what we've studied. Trust and obey. 447, I believe it is. If you're here today and you need to be saved, we would invite you to come. We'll share the gospel with you. If you're here today and you need to come talk with the Lord, you already know him. You're his child. But there's some issues in your life. Would you come and kneel at an old altar and give them to him? And cry out to him and say, Lord, I trust you. I look to you. Here are the issues. I lay them before you. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. 447, let's stand and sing. The altar's open. You come, trust and obey. Amen.